0: Welcome to episode number 57 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We drop new episodes of this podcast every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast. And of course, you can also catch us on iTunes. We bring you the issues in the internet marketing community world.
1: Weed through nation. the bullshit.
0: Give you the real, real. Yeah, so
1: exactly. You don't have to waste your time.
0: Exactly. No pitches, no sponsors. We don't recommend any products or software that we don't use ourselves. That's correct. Yeah, so let's get right down into it. We're both drinking scotch tonight. Oh, yeah. We're going back really old school. Back to roots. Yeah, back to the roots. For
1: me, Glenfidge 15, probably a little bit more than a double neat. <laughs> Because uh, it's been a hard week already. It's... Number
0: three. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't talk about that. But how about yourself? um I'm doing the McCallan. Tw- is it twelve or f- is twelve? I think okay. Twelve. Yeah. The McCallan twelve. Neat. It's
1: actually very nice for a twelve. Very smooth compared yeah. to the uh, compared to everything roughness else. that they sell as other twelves. So yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and hop into it. Before we do, though, just a reminder: if you have an idea for a topic feel free to give us a call, 904-270-9603, Rob Waits Day and Night, by the hamburger phone, that is the beard Marketers line, and no matter who he's meeting with, president, family, if that hamburger phone rings, I gotta take this call. So, call in with your suggestions, and we'll work it into a content schedule. But, topics for tonight, I'm actually excited for our lineup tonight, a diverse range of topics, as always, but I feel like we have a good spattering of things to talk about tonight. So, That just blow your mind. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing we're going to be talking about is actually kind of a quintessential question, especially for startup businesses. Is Google Analytics enough to Mm. give you a gauge and a barometer on what you're doing online? Photos and social media. We're just going to leave that vague because we got a lot to talk about on that subject. Customer confusion, marketing repercussions. Are you really shooting yourself in the foot with not teaming up your customer relations information with what you're doing on the marketing side? And our ever so famous Google corner, what are the new happenings coming out of Mountain View that you should be aware of? And then wrapping things up, how can you change your SEO strategy to increase your click-throughs from those search engine results pages, getting those customers onto your site with those oh-so competitive results pages? Kicking things off, GA, is it enough? Is it enough? I don't know. Professor Rob, tell us. Here we go again with Professor (laughs) Rob. What is the real deal that we (laughs) need to be paying attention
0: to? Um, This was just a topic that I wanted to briefly touch on before we moved on to some of the other things. Uh, Just because I I feel like so many marketers nowadays uh, have become completely reliant on Google Analytics. Um, Google Analytics is the one-stop shop for everything they do. Every piece of measurement they pull out of Google Analytics, be it revenue, be it visits, whatever it is, they always try to pull it out of there. I mean, even now, we're mostly running experiments through Google Analytics. Everyone's doing everything through there. But I just wanted to point out that, number one, you can't rely on GA completely for everything. This should be obvious to most marketers out there, but GA is not 100% accurate on anything. Correct. It will never match up with any other tool you use. It won't even match up with other Google products and other tools (laughs) shockingly right you know those who rely on revenue numbers from google analytics may be surprised to try to reconcile those against real figures and realize that they can be off by 10 20 something more percent depending on how you have e-commerce tracking set up there's just a ton of different things that you need to be aware of when you're using google analytics and maybe try to leverage other tools to help legitimize the numbers and maybe i'm seeing inside google analytics but beyond all that right there's a whole host of other new tools and other things you can use that help you find out information that Google Analytics just can't give you at this point. You know, there's been tools around like Clicktail Forever that lets you actually get real click maps, not the fake ones that you can see inside Google Analytics, real ones. Right. Uh, you can sort of watch play-by-play videos as well. That's one example. Everybody uses an email service provider like a MailChimp, which we always talk about, <laughs> All of those provide stats in and of themselves, right? So set those things up. Use the conversion tracking inside the MailChimp platform and compare it to your Google Analytics tracking, conversion tracking, and see how those things marry together and and maybe try to account for differences that may be there in the data. I would say the same thing for any other advertising platform you're using. If you're using Google AdWords, don't just rely on the Google Analytics conversion tracking. Set up AdWords conversion tracking as well to make sure that those numbers make sense. And do that again with every other advertising platform. They all have their own conversion tracking setup methods. They all let you track a lot of information about your visitors directly inside the platforms. Basically, take away, don't rely solely on Google Analytics.
1: As good of a tool as it is, I think the thing that hurts Google Analytics sometimes is how easy it appears on surface level to use and set up. But as we know with most web measurement tools, there's a lot of things to consider when you use these tools, and I think other than just the the pitfalls of what Google Analytics doesn't necessarily track very well, or things that take a lot of development time to get up and running, you still need to think through your installation. You know, am I scrubbing through my own internal traffic. Are there certain junk traffic that I need to be aware of that are coming in and influencing the numbers that I'm seeing out of Google Analytics? I mean, just because it's a free tool, it's from Google and it has a lot of polish. There's still a lot of thought and setup that needs to go into running a Google Analytics setup that I think a lot of people don't think through because they just get the JavaScript snippet. They put it on their site and they think that that's kind of it. It should be running on its own. So along with Rob was given with good advice of augmenting some of that data with other tools, things like Kiss Metrics or Clicktail, these other touch points where you can get really valuable customer information to help you really optimize your site experience along with Google Analytics. You also need to take the time to understand what you need to do to set up Google Analytics to set you up for success, to make sure that the data that it's reporting out is as accurate as possible. Like you said, we should expect some deltas. When we pull reports and other measurement tools, whether it be our own in-house financial records or things like that, we should expect some deltas between tools. Uh, But you also do need to take the time to make sure that your auditing is Google Analytics set up correctly are there some things that I need to take into account like filters and things like that to make sure I'm getting the most value out of that tool but like you said it's not really the end-all be-all see what the ecosystem's out there there's a lot of great tools out there to use and make sure that you're essentially giving yourself enough ammunition to really tackle your website and give your users the best experience as possible I think is a uh, be agile I think that's what it, that's what it boils down in to. With everything in internet marketing. Right. You, you have, have to. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Or you're dead. All right, so Simply tell side. us
0: a little bit about photos and social media. All
1: right, this was prompted by an article in Marketing Pilgrim, which, by the way... Your phone and tablet template still needs to be fixed. Not very good. Straight call out. It's you could probably go back to episode number twenty when we started this. But
0: I hope our site is is on point right oh, now for mobile. You know it. At least we have good pictures <laughs> on it.
1: But the article that I wanted to recap on was a study done by Social Bakers, which they analyzed over thirty thousand brands on Facebook to look at the type of posts that they did, what kind of content was contained in said posts, and what was the resulting interaction. And what they really wanted to quantify is, particularly when you include a link, whether you include an image, or whether you include a video in posts on Facebook, what was the net result of the interactions that you gleaned from your audience that you were proposing this to? Now, there were not any other additional filters that we saw in the report, that might lead to certain reportings on things like video length or topic of video or photos whether it was customer provided selfies things like that versus right, so just corporate very top ver- level right very yeah. top level but what was interesting that is actually counter to what we've experienced in our own brand is that even compared to video photos outpaced every other form with interactions, which I guess the only thing left at that point is either just straight text or links within your posts. And I would say that universally, when we work on a video that far outpaces any sort of photo campaign that we have done. Mm-hmm. And I think that video can be very intensive, not only in just the production of it, but you're also requiring a bit more from your users. I mean, no matter what the setting, I can view a photo in a a status update or a post that you might have in a social media channel. But when it comes to video, we are demanding a little bit more. But it is also harder for us to generate as a company as well. But I will say that it seems, at least in our experience, that the videos seem to really take off when it comes to engagement. I mean, you might get a similar amount of likes from a photo campaign, but when it comes to actually generating thoughtful conversation and really ginning up the, I would say, the social media engine and getting people really interacting with your stuff, we've really found that video has worked well for us. But in this report, photo far outpaced video which was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah well there's a few different ways you could look at this maybe. So when they talk about photo out engaging I guess is a way you could put it. Video or just plain text or links or whatever it is else that you could post on social media. Do they mean directly in the social media accounts themselves or what your linking to from those pieces of content so for example when we do videos shout out thebearded videos when we promote those videos on like twitter and facebook and whatever actually embedding the videos doesn't work that well right um simply linking off to the videos again doesn't work that well either but including a screenshot from the video and then linking off to the video is the magic formula combination of so that might of be a measure things.
1: of how attractive we are in our set videos, not no, necessarily I mean, about right. the video format. Right.
0: So uh, I guess my point is just that there are like so many different ways you can look right, at like sure. what exactly do we mean when we're promoting photos in our social media well yeah there's a photo in it there's also a link and we're also ultimately promoting a video in it so Correct. it's like this weird combination of all different forms yeah. of media but i think from what we've seen and from what some of the other clients that we've used on social media networks i mean photo is just the easiest way for most people to engage sure. i mean when i'm just sitting on my couch well i mean i don't mean me personally because <laughs> i don't do this I don't have facebook but you know people just scrolling through facebook or scrolling through their twitter feed it's just super easy to engage like, with um yeah. You know, Favorite photos. on
1: Instagram, things right, like I'm that. Right. I'm not going
0: to take the time to put my headphones on and watch your video, but I will just, oh, that's a, that's a cool picture.
1: I think that that's what's tough for marketers. This is not the first report that I've seen that's centered around this type of data set that is really pointed to photos. And I think what you're talking about and what I sort of alluded to in the beginning as well is a lot of these reports don't have a great way of quantifying the quality of that interaction. Mm-hmm. So like you said, it's very easy for me to see a picture of a cute puppy and say, you know, I like that or I, you know, I favorited that. But video content, at least in our experience, not just on our website, but with clients as well, if you're looking to actually have thoughtful interaction and actually spur a conversation, images can do this as well. So I don't want to say that it's impossible. You can certainly generate striking image content and have a conversation around that. And I think that it really boils down brand to brand on what you're trying to leverage your social media channels for. But I do want to caution people to take some of these reports with a grain of salt and looking at what is the quality of interaction that you have. And I think that long term, both Facebook, Twitter and Google and the search engines are going to look for ways to quantify what is that quality of interaction. It's not going to just be a sole counter of likes and things like that, but rather looking at other signals to help understand Is there a good conversation to be had here? And is it worth me showing more users in my ecosystem and exposing it to that content? So Mm -hmm. each individual company is going to have to find their happy medium like you were talking about. Like for us, we use video a lot and we couple that with links and images to help disseminate that information in the appropriate channels and we found this magic mix that works really well for us they're not all siloed you know Mm -hmm. you have to kind of think about everything in a holistic experience and how that's going to work well for you so again be careful when you read some of these reports about images are the best social media platform well maybe maybe for you but maybe you need to also consider how you can leverage images to also help your video content and all those other types of formats that you can use out there. But also keep in mind, what's the quality of conversation you're having with people on these social channels? I mean, if you're just straight looking for likes, then maybe your strategy is completely different. But if you're looking to actually engage your customers, have that meaningful conversation, then you might need to think about things a bit differently. Next topic. I thought this was a great one. Very timely. Mm -mm. And I think a lot of people forget about this and get themselves in some serious trouble, which you might maybe, actually maybe not. You might have a great story about this, but we wanted to touch about customer confusion and how what we market as companies sometimes has some severe repercussions on the back end of things and how we end up having to fulfill these customer expectations that we set.
0: Fair warning, this might be a bit of a ramble, rant, slash, whatever you want to call Fresh it. One. So, I may have a bit of a unique perspective than a lot of the other internet marketing folks out there, especially if you work for a larger company. A lot of the stuff I do is with much smaller companies, either the ones I directly own or with other clients who run small companies, small meaning a handful of people running them. So, anything that we do in the marketing world has direct repercussions, and I'm aware of what. Happens to the bottom line and the customer support and everything else that goes along with some of these smaller companies, whereas a lot of bigger internet marketers who, you know, maybe work as an affiliate or who work for larger companies, really, they're just pushing from the front, just dumping tons of traffic and trying to get more sales. And they don't care what happens. They don't care really if these customers are satisfied with the product or if they ultimately get a refund or whatever it is that that may happen. So
1: Because it doesn't really affect them. Right. They don't have to report on that. They
0: made yeah. their numbers better. So great. Absolutely. So I mean that is exactly what happens there. So I you know with some of these smaller companies, I am more directly linked to some of those things. And I just wanted to give a few examples of maybe things that we as marketers do in the industry that can lead to a lot of confusion for customers and a lot of headaches for customer support and ultimately maybe even refunds and very unhappy customers, and the opposite of product evangelists, which is what we're ultimately looking for. So one example that I've run into fairly often with some of these smaller companies is you need to be very careful with how you do maybe dynamic keyword insertion or how you broad match certain keywords in AdWords. And I don't mean just because they may not result in conversions for your product or whatever it is that you're selling or the leads that you're trying to get. I mean, because you may actually be targeting keywords that are semi-relevant to what you do but actually aren't what your product provides. I can't think of an example right off the top of my head that I can easily give away without giving away what industries I can work in. But say, for example, you're targeting a feature that maybe your product is related to but doesn't actually provide. So if someone Googles that, clicks your ad, and purchases your product, come to find out that thing they Googled, your product doesn't actually do that. And now you've got a really pissed off customer who wants their money back, a nightmare for customer support, and someone who's going to go out there talking negatively about your company. So not only are you maybe bidding on keywords that don't perform very well for you, but they're actually creating pissed off customers. It's actually working against you completely, bidding on some of these things. So that's something you need to pay attention to.
1: Maybe a good example was in one of our more recent tune-ups, we looked at CRM software. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an industry where you can go in looking for very specific features And like you said, depending on how controlled these marketing campaigns can be, we've seen that some companies get a bit greedy with how they bid for terms online and maybe do a lot of broad match. Someone's looking for a customer relation management tool and might start bidding on very specific features that CRMs typically have that yours actually might not contain. And if you start getting into the world of... Dynamic keyword insertion or a lot of broad match. Like you said, you might be setting some expectations in the consumer's mind that maybe your landing page doesn't speak to that feature anywhere on that mm-hmm. page. But because you've bid on that term and your potentially your ad copy as well has mentioned something about that term, and depending on your website, you might even dynamically insert that on the landing page as well. But that has nothing to do with your product. That creates a customer service nightmare on the back end when these people get pissed off once they've set up their account. They've paid you that initial month or whatever it might be. And now you're not actually fulfilling yeah. on that promise.
0: And those kinds of things can be oftentimes really difficult to nail down. I mean, sure. it may just be a matter of, well, I guess we just get a lot of people who don't like our product. And it can sometimes be hard to figure out. Oh, well, uh, you know, come to realization that you know we're bidding on actually a lot of this traffic, right. and we're that's where we're getting all these pissed off customers from. Another example is through affiliate marketing. If you run affiliate marketing campaigns, you need to be very careful about the affiliates you allow promote your websites and how how they do it specifically. The same sort of thing, we can use your CRM example again, and that you may have affiliates out there who you know, may not be doing this for the wrong reasons. They may legitimately think that your CRM does this or has a 30-day free trial or something that it doesn't actually have. And now customers end up on your website and go, wait a minute, I thought this was free. I thought this did whatever. And they're really confused. And that's another example of something that may lead to a lot of really pissed off people about your brand that can be kind of hard to nail down. One of those other things that you really need to pay attention to. The last one in this sort of list of three things to be weary of is automated marketing, which has obviously grown huge recently. You just need to be very careful about how you target people. Don't send them messages about discounts for things that they've already just purchased. <laughs> things like that can really piss off people. Oh, absolutely. It's trying not to get too slick with your marketing and really sitting down and thinking about a lot of the things that you're doing to make sure you don't do that, I guess. I mean, sure. that's, that's an example that's happened to me multiple times. It's like, well, damn, I just bought that. Thanks for the 20% off coupon <laughs> after the fact. So I
1: mean, yeah, I think that a lot of people as technology has progressed, especially in the automated field of marketing people have relied a lot on tools to do as they say, or, you know, they get sold by a salesperson that we can provide X. And there's not a lot of testing that I found, interestingly enough, on these tools. They don't necessarily start with a control group and see how these things work or in their minds, think through some case studies like you, where you might do a delayed purchase or things like that. And these people get caught in these weird scenarios where They're actually a converter, but now we're marketing different messages to them and potentially angering people. So, you know, even though technology is making it easier to become a, as it appears, maybe a savvy marketer, make sure that you're also testing these tools to understand where the pitfalls might be. And also think through some logical scenarios of how people can still be pissed off with these automatic campaigns and have you really thought through all the processes correctly. So be careful of how you market to your customers and how that might cause you some trouble in the back end. And I would say as a quick aside, I know we've been on this topic for a bit. If you're a marketer and you're not talking to your customer service individuals and departments, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. Those are people in the front lines dealing with your customers day in and day out. And a lot of times they can have a huge wealth of customer intelligence that you do not get through your tools like Google Analytics or Omniture or whatever it might be. And those people, again, are talking to customers on a daily basis. So along with keeping in touch with those people, making sure that you're not making their lives a wreck, they can be a wealth of information for how to make yourself a better marketer as well. Moving right along Google Corner, we're going to keep this short, but a couple things to be aware of from this week. One Google Webmaster Tools, number one, if you're not using it, get off your ass and set up Google Webmaster Tools. <laughs> it's a wealth of information. It gives you a ton of great data on how Google sees your sites, if there's any errors that you need to be aware of, spam complaints, things like that that you always need to keep an eye on. It gives you a lot of information about how Google is indexing your site, prominent keywords that you're showing up for. Again, if you aren't signed up with this, where are you at? But all that in mind, they've rolled out the ability now to track subdomains and HTTPS aspects of your site, which has always been a pain point for us marketers that actually do use that tool a lot. Mm -hmm. So now you can add, potentially you have a section of your site like, blog.thebeardmarketers.com, which we actually don't have. But if you have subdomains of your site or you have a secure section of your site, oftentimes Google would make you set up separate profiles for that. Now you can actually add those into one profile and get an accumulation of data, which is great. Also, as we mentioned last episode, AdWords did a big announcement On the 22nd, you should definitely check out their blog posts. We'll tweet that out and their full announcement details. The best part of the whole announcement that I found, particularly as an AdWords power user, is now you have the ability to do experiments on your campaign settings and biddings. What this means is over the next couple months, AdWords is going to roll out the ability to take a target campaign or ad group It actually tests changing up some campaign settings, bid strategies, things like that. And it will take a sample of your target traffic and apply those actual test settings and allow you to compare and contrast based on where your current settings are at. And these test scenarios, this is what you got from that sample group. It was statistically significant. And these are the findings that we had from that group. Is this something that you want to apply And the neat part is not only are they sampling that traffic to give you that outlook, but any of those settings to that test group are easily applied then to that campaign pending the results. Great new feature from AdWords, really itching to try that out, but there's a ton of other features that they've rolled out, particularly about app marketing that you can do within your apps, different ad formats, things like that. ton of new information and options coming out from AdWords. That's going to be it for the Google Corner. Last topic that we wanted to talk about, we talk about SEO
0: a lot on this show. Not I think, really. I actually don't think so.
1: I think we do. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we talk about schemas last time? Mm. We even got the technical nitty-gritty with I SEO. Think we did. Yeah, you're right. So to carry on that, I wanted to talk about some click-through rate tips about your websites that you need to keep in mind that a lot of people talk about. And I think oftentimes... People give SEO tips on how you can rank better, which is obviously very, very important. What we also need to consider when we do optimize our websites is how do we stand out from the crowd? It's not just enough to get that first page placement for those keywords, but I think that we also need to consider as people are browsing this smattering of We got ads going on. We got local placements. We have these SEO content. How do we actually stand out from the crowd?
0: Well, it's the same as in paid search ads, right? Sure. I I, I never understood why that principle never carried over to natural search. I mean, we spend so much time testing new ads to increase click through rates with our paid search stuff. Do the same thing with your natural search listings, especially the ones that you know rank really well for um, high traffic keywords. You could keep the same third place position, whatever it is that you may have. If you have a better, more attractive title, description, schema, maybe you're now including a picture or something like that, that drastically increases your click-through rate. Obviously you're getting a ton more traffic without actually having to increase your ranking.
1: And I agree with you. It's interesting to me how the principles from PPC ads, which are on the same page, often get lost in the SEO world. And there's this extreme focus on ranking, which again, I don't want to diminish the value of. It is important to rank well for terms. But much like PPC, having something that visually is striking makes you set apart or communicates a value proposition even more strongly can really help set you apart. So here's some quick tips around that. When you're looking at your title tags and your meta descriptions, I'm interested to know How often we go into working with companies, they don't even do really competitive research on these topics. They might know who are the competitors that are ranking against them in SEO for their big keywords. But they don't know any of the information that their competitors talk about and how they can differentiate themselves within their SEO title and descriptions. And I think that's a huge thing. I mean, people actually do read this information. And if you are in a highly competitive space, having a title tag or description about your site that actually causes people to stop and look at what you're having to offer can make a big difference. And consider that Google takes click-through rate information into account, into your rankings. So Taking some of these principles in mind can actually help you rank even better Mm -hmm. than your competitors by having a stronger value proposition in some of these elements to cause people to actually check out your brand more. A couple other things that I wanted to cover. Google, as of a couple of years ago, has also been carrying through some of the breadcrumb information on your sites into search results. So make sure that you have a pretty well thought out breadcrumb system on your site if it merits it. I mean if you have enough content to where breadcrumbs make sense it can help some of your search engine results. As we talked about actually last week schema information and rich snippets can make a huge difference whether that is making sure that you have authorship on your content. Maybe you know we talk a lot about lead gen and e-commerce maybe you just run a blog. But having some of that authorship information, who's writing this article of content, maybe it's ratings if you're an e-commerce brand and you're making sure that you're getting customers engaged on rating your company. There's a ton of different things that now search engines are pulling into their results pages to help people set them apart. Maybe it's business location. Maybe it's trusted store. There's a lot of options out there for you as a business, but these rich snippets such as authorship or ratings or trusted stores, things like that can make a huge difference in helping you stand out from the crowd.
0: I did want to add one quick note about authorship on Google search engine result pages. And that is that I feel that if your site isn't a blog or the specific page isn't an article written by someone who someone searching for this, who would know about, I think it can actually maybe hurt your brand can hurt your click through rates by having authorship on something that, say I'm searching for something, I don't want to read a blog, I don't want to read an article. Now you've really knocked me out of even clicking on your link because that's some picture of someone who wrote it and I'm not looking for that. Something to keep in mind, I've definitely noticed myself avoiding authorship-based search engine results because I'm not looking for an opinion on something. So be very careful about adding authorship to a site that isn't really about an opinion or a blog or an article or something like that. I've seen it on like e-commerce type sites.
1: I think that's a good point, and interestingly enough, what I find odd is how oftentimes people will have that markup. But when I look at your profile picture, not very professional. If I'm looking to give you money, like in your e commerce example, I don't want a very unprofessional picture that maybe causes me to second guess the trust level that I would have with your site. So, some of these things, like you talked about can be a great aid to your site, but if not executed correctly, I guess with most things in life, can cause you uh, some harm as well. That's going to do it for us on episode number 57. Thank you so much for your time. If you enjoyed yourself, share with a friend. Also, leave us a rating on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated. If you have an idea for the show, maybe you listen every week and you go, ah, the bearded men didn't cover it again. Or maybe something that you're struggling with, your boss is yelling at you, you don't know where to turn. Give us a call 904 270 9603, or you can drop us a line at our website or hit us up on Twitter. We'd be glad to work it into our content. And if we can't help you out directly, we can certainly put you in contact with someone that can. Thank you for your time, and we'll see you.